Part Three, Chapter Five of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. The Slippervox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. All had gone to their rooms, but with the exception of Anatole, who went to sleep as soon as he got into bed, it was long before any one could close an eye that night. Is he really to be my husband, this handsome stranger who seems so good? Ah, yes. Above all, so good, thought the Princess Maria, and a feeling of fear, such as she had scarcely ever experienced before, came upon her. She was afraid to look round. It seemed to her as though someone were standing there behind the screen in the dark corner, and this someone was he, the devil, and he was this man with the white forehead, the black eyebrows, and the rosy lips. She called her maid and begged for her to sleep in her room. Mademoiselle Burine, that same evening, walked for a long time up and down the winter garden, vainly expecting someone, now smiling at her own thought, now stirred to tears by imagining the words which so pauvre mère would say in reproaching her after her fall. The little princess scolded her maid because her bed was not comfortable. It was impossible for her to lie on her side or on her face. Any position was awkward and uncomfortable. She felt more than ever tried to-day especially because Anatole's presence brought back so vividly the days before she was married, when she was light-hearted and merry. She reclined in her easy-chair, in her dressing-jacket and nightcap. Katya, half asleep, with her hair hanging down in a braid, was turning for the third time and shaking up the heavy mattress, muttering to herself. "'I told you that it was all humps and hollows,' insisted the little princess. "'I should like to go to sleep myself. "'I'm sure it isn't my fault.' and her voice trembled, as though she were a child, getting ready to cry. The old prince also could not sleep. Tikhon, as he napped, heard him stamping wrathfully up and down, and snorting. It seemed to the old prince that he had been insulted through his daughter. The insult was painful, because it was directed not to himself, but to another, to his daughter, whom he loved better than himself. He kept telling himself that he would calmly think the whole matter over, and decide how in justice to himself he must act, but instead of so doing, he grew more and more vexed with himself. Let the first young man come along, and she forgets father and all, and she runs upstairs, combs up her hair and prinks, and is no longer like herself, glad to throw her father over, and she knew that I, that I noticed it, for, 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 and then, haven't I eyes to see that that simpleton has no eyes for anyone except Burinka? Must get rid of her. And how is it that she hasn't enough pride to see it herself? If not for her own sake, she might at least show some for mine. I must show her that this booby doesn't think of her at all, but only stares at Burine. She has no pride, but I'll prove this for her. The old prince knew that if he told his daughter that she was laboring under a delusion— that Anatole was bent on flirting with Burine, he would in this way touch his daughter's pride, and his game would be played. For he was anxious not to part with his daughter. This consideration served to quiet him. He summoned Tikhon and began to undress. "'The devil take him,' he said to himself, as Tikhon slipped the nightshirt over his master's thin, old body, the chest overgrown with grey hairs. "'I did not invite him. They have come to upset my whole life.' and my life will soon come to an end. The devil with them, he muttered, when his head was still hidden by the shirt. 
Tikhon knew the prince's habit of sometimes thinking aloud, and therefore he met with unflinching eyes the prince's wrathfully scrutinizing gaze, as his head came out from the nightshirt. "'Have they gone to bed?' asked the prince. Tikhon, after the manner of all well-trained valets, knew by intuition what his baron was thinking about. He judged that the question referred to Prince Vasily and his son. "'They have deigned to go to bed, and their lights are out, your lustrousness.' "'No reason why they shouldn't,' briskly exclaimed the prince, and thrusting his feet into his slippers and his arms into his dressing-gown, he went to the sofa where he usually slept. Although but few words had been exchanged by Anatole and Mademoiselle Burine, they thoroughly understood one another as to the first chapters of the romance up to the appearance of Pauvromère. They understood that they had much to say to each other in secret, and therefore early in the morning they both sought an opportunity for a private interview. While the young princess was going at the usual hour to meet her father, Mademoiselle Burine and Anatole met in the winter garden. The Princess Maria, on this particular day, went with more than her usual trepidation to the door of her father's cabinet. It seemed to her that every one knew that this day her fate was to be decided, but also knew what she herself felt about it. She read this expression on Tikhon's face, and on the face of Prince Vasily's valet, as he met her in the corridor on his way with hot water for the prince, and made her a low bow. The old prince this morning was thoroughly affectionate and kind in his behavior to his daughter. The Princess Maria well knew this expression of kindness. It was the expression which his face generally wore, when his nervous hands doubled up with vexation because she did not understand her arithmetical examples, and he would spring to his feet, walk away from her, and then repeat the same words in a low, gentle voice. He immediately addressed himself to the business in hand, and began to explain to her, all the time using the formal we, you. "'I have received an offer for your hand in marriage,' said he, with an unnatural smile. I suppose you did not imagine, he went on to say, that he came here and brought his pupil. For some inexplicable reason, Prince Nikolai Andreyevitch called Anatole Vospitanik, pupil, for the sake of my handsome eyes. Last evening he proposed for your hand, and, as you know my principles, I refer it to you. How am I to understand you, mon père? she exclaimed, turning pale and then blushing. How understand me? cried her father, wrathfully. Prince Vasily is satisfied with you for a daughter-in-law, and has proposed for your hand in behalf of his pupil. That's what it means. How understand it? That I ask you. I do not know so well as you, mon père, whispered the princess. I? I? What have I got to do with it? Consider me out of the question. I'm not the one who's going to be married. What's your opinion? That is what must be known." The princess saw that her father did not regard the matter very favorably, but at the same time the thought occurred to her that now or never the whole destiny of her life hung in the balance. She dropped her eyes, so as not to see his face, because she knew that she could not think if she were under its dominion, but even then she could only be subject to him, and she said, "'I desire only one thing, to fulfill your will, but if it be necessary for me to express my desire.' She had no time to finish her sentence." The prince interrupted her. "'That's admirable,' he cried. "'He will take you for your fortune, and by the way, hook on Mademoiselle Burine. She will be his wife, and you—' The prince paused. He noticed the effect produced on his daughter by his words. She hung her head and was ready to burst into tears. "'Well, well, I was only jesting,' said he. 
Remember this one thing, princess. I stick to my principles that a girl has a perfect right to choose for herself. I give you your freedom. Remember this, though. The happiness of your whole life depends upon your decision. Leave me out of the consideration. But I do not know, mon père. There is nothing to be said. He will marry as he is bid, whether it be you or somebody else. But you are free to choose. Go to your room, think it over, and at the end of an hour come to me and tell me in his presence what your decision is, yea or no. I know that you'll have to pray over it. Well, pray, if you please. Only you'd better use your reason. Get you gone. Yea or no? Yea or no? Yea or no, cried he, as the princess, still in a mist, left the room with tottering step. Her fate was already decided, and happily decided. But what her father said about Mademoiselle Burine, that insinuation was horrible. False, let us hope, but still it was horrible, and she could not keep it out of her thoughts. She started directly to her room, through the winter garden, seeing nothing and hearing nothing, when suddenly Mademoiselle Burine's well-known chatter struck her ear and woke her from her dreaming. She raised her eyes and, two paces away, saw Anatole with the Frenchwoman in his arms and whispering something in her ear. With a terrible expression on his handsome face, he looked at the Princess Maria, and at first did not release Mademoiselle Burine, who had not seen the princess at all. "'Who is here? What is the trouble? Just wait a little,' Anatole's face seemed to say. The Princess Maria silently gazed at them. She could not comprehend it. Then Mademoiselle Burine uttered a cry and fled. Anatole, with an amused smile, gave the princess a bow, as though asking her to look on the ridiculous side of this strange behavior, and shrugging his shoulders, disappeared through the door that led to his own quarters. At the end of an hour, Tikhon came to summon the Princess Maria. He conducted her to her father's room, and told her that Prince Vasily was also there. When Tikhon came for her, the princess was sitting on a sofa in her room, with her arm around Mademoiselle Burine. The latter was weeping, and the princess softly stroked her hair. The princess's beautiful eyes, with all their usual calmness and brilliancy, gazed with affectionate love and sympathy into Mademoiselle Burine's pretty face. "'No, princess, my place is forever gone from your heart,' said Mademoiselle Burine. "'Why, I love you more than ever,' replied the Princess Maria, "'and I will try to do all that is in my power for your happiness. "'But you despise me. "'You, who are so pure, will never understand this frenzy of passion. "'Ah, my poor mother!' "'I understand it all,' replied the Princess, with a melancholy smile. "'Compose yourself, my friend.' I am going to see my father, said she, and left the room. Prince Vasily, with one leg thrown across his knee and holding his snuff-box in his hand, was greatly excited and evidently realized that he was in a precarious condition, and yet he tried to conquer his own nervousness. He was sitting with an imploring smile on his face as the Princess Maria entered the room. He hastily applied a pinch of snuff to his nose. Ah, ma bonne, ma bonne! he exclaimed, rising and seizing her by both hands. He sighed and added, My son's fate is in your hand. Dicede, ma bonne, ma chère, ma dose Marie. I have always loved you as though you were my own daughter. He turned away. Genuine tears stood in his eyes. Fur, fur, snorted Prince Nikolai Andreitch. 
the prince in the name of his pupil i mean his son makes you an offer will you or will you not be the wife of prince anatole kuragin speak yea or no cried he and then i reserve to myself the right to give my opinion also yes my opinion and only my opinion added prince nikolai andreitch in reply to prince vasily's beseeching expression yea or no my desire mon père is never to leave you nor to part from you as long as we live i do not wish to marry said she with firm deliberation fixing her beautiful eyes on prince vasily and on her father folly nonsense 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 cried prince nikolai andreitch frowning he drew his daughter close to him yet he did not kiss her but merely brought his forehead close to hers and squeezed her hand which he held in his so that she screamed out with pain prince vasily arose my dear i will tell you that this is a moment that i shall never forget never but my dear can't you give us a little hope of ever touching your kind and generous heart say that perhaps the future is so long only say perhaps prince what i have told you is all that my heart can say i thank you for the honour but i can never be your son's wife well that ends it my dear fellow very glad to have seen you very glad to have seen you go to your room princess go to your room said the old prince very very glad to have seen you he reiterated embracing prince vasily my vocation is different said the princess maria to herself my vocation is to be happy in the happiness of others a different sort of happiness the happiness of love and self-sacrifice and so far as within me lies i will bring about the happiness of poor emily she loves him so passionately she repents her conduct so bitterly i will do everything to bring about a marriage between them if he is not rich i will give her the means i will petition my father i will ask andre and i shall be so happy when she becomes his wife she is so unfortunate lonely and helpless in a strange land ah bosmois how passionately she must love him if she can so far forget herself maybe i myself should have done the same thing thought the princess maria End of chapter five